Welcome to Bitverse Byte, a weekly podcast about the web design industry, tools and techniques upcoming and in use today. I'm Adam Listick, a web developer from Northern California and Central Illinois. If you'd like to help support the show, please tap the link in this episode's description if you're using the Anchor application or visit anchor.fm slash bit-v-byte to become a monthly supporter. So, happy Father's Day to everyone. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a dad myself, so hopefully everyone's getting a relaxing day and able to take it easy a bit. Um, unfortunately for myself, apparently I have a family of skunks living under my back porch, so happy Father's Day to me. But yeah, kind of working through that. It's always fun to uh, have that going on. But beyond that, I wanted to start some news. So coming shortly, uh, July 2nd, uh, Gmail is rolling out dynamic emails to everyone. And so what these are are essentially uh, AMP-enabled emails within you know, your normal Gmail, you know, client or interface. And what's kind of interesting is you're supposed to be able to interact with these emails a little bit more than you might normally. Uh, You know, you can click buttons, fill out a form, that kind of thing. So there's a lot of folks that are on the fence about this one. Uh, I think as a, as a end user, it's, it's a pretty cool ability to have something pretty neat that you might want to be able to do. Uh, you probably want to not have to go someplace and not have to go fill out something. Um, you know, and if you can do it all in one spot, then hey, even better. But I think there's a lot of folks too that worry about the all of this kind of forcing you more into the Google ecosystem, uh, which is a pretty common concern, especially with all the privacy issues and everything going on. So remains to be seen where it goes, but uh, it's a pretty neat idea. I'll just kind of wait and see how it all works out. Uh, Dropbox outlined their upcoming changes to their client. Uh, and apparently, you know, from reading through everything and what it looks to be, it seems like they really want to embrace being more than just a place to sync files. You know, they'd already kind of started down this route when they were doing their I think their Dropbox paper their product, which is, you know, like uh, writing documentation, collaboration, that kind of thing. Um, but what they're talking about with this uh, set of changes is like you can bring all your stuff into one spot. You know, you can have Google Drive stuff here, links to websites. You can have a bunch of collaborative projects. And so really what it's trying to do is you know, make Dropbox more useful, bring more people back, because I think a lot of folks, and myself included, really, they don't think about Dropbox. They just use it to sync some files, and that's about it. And you don't ever really go to the website unless you need to. You don't ever really use it beyond that. So I think they're just trying to find a way to differentiate themselves and bring more people in and do more stuff. Remains to be seen how, you know, useful it is or how that fits into the rest of the you know, tools everybody uses, but, you know, kind of a neat idea. Uh, Firefox 67 uh, was just getting released. Um, It's got a couple cool features. They're now supporting a media query for dark mode, uh, which I know that an upcoming Chrome version will as well, uh, which is pretty cool. So you can detect whether or not um, folks want dark mode enabled and style your site accordingly. 
Um, it's also got a bunch of other features, some cool debugging features. It's including the AV1 Kodak, which I'm excited for more things to uh, support, which is a even more efficient uh, Kodak than, say, VP9 or anything like that. Uh, so it's getting there, but pretty cool. But yeah, so not a, not a ton of news, uh, a couple things, but uh, kind of neat. So jumping on over to some links and resources, um, Google's Area 120, which is kind of their technology um, testbed uh, group, they released this um, product uh, called uh, oh, Game Builder. I think it's Game Builder. But basically it's a, um, uh, a way that you can download through Steam, actually, and play this thing where it's a drag-and-drop uh, experience to build games, to uh, put logic in those games, uh, makes it really easy for anyone to get started, uh, great for kids, uh, but by no means limited to that. Um, so I actually had my, my daughter try this, and uh, she, she seemed to like it and started to pick it up pretty quick. Um, it's, it's neat. She kind of waned in interest after a little bit, but um, she definitely picked up how to make things happen and you know, action and reaction kind of thing. And I do like that you can actually jump on over to JavaScript and actually do everything that the drag and drop interface is doing and change it however you want. So pretty cool. You can kind of get those two worlds and then see what you can do with it later on. A handy little API called ipgeolocationapi.com. <laughs> the entire word together. But uh, essentially, it uses a MaxMind um, GeoIP database, but just gives you a super simple API to call. Uh, just basically give it the IP, and it'll return you some location data. If you need that kind of thing, which I have in the past, very easy. Um, and so check it out. And finally, um, there was an experiment, I guess experiment kind of released um, for Spotify. And I think I was having a hard time if this was a Spotify employee who did this or just somebody on the side, but essentially they did this listentogether.io site. And what it is is essentially you um, can subscribe to a playlist or somebody can make a playlist and you and a couple other folks can listen to that playlist, basically like a ad hoc radio station uh, that, you know, and make requests and that kind of thing. And the idea is really to bring a number of people for a listening party kind of thing. Like, oh, hey, maybe you haven't heard of this song or this is kind of cool. Uh, so I actually really like the idea. Um, I was going to try it out and see what, um, you know, kind of what it was like. Uh, but I think it's a neat use of the uh, Spotify platform. And if it works well, well, um, pretty neat. I mean, it's cool that you can kind of have this, well, wait, have you heard this? And it's not just a one-off. It's what somebody is listening to at that moment. You know, that brings in that whole kind of, togetherness and um that you know that perhaps someone's in the mood for this one thing and it's kind of a neat look into that so cool idea i was gonna check it out and see what it's like so finally as i was thinking of topics um to chat about uh one you know especially recently and things have come up um there's been a lot in the news about starlink which is elon musk's um isp <laughs> which is Point it mildly, um, concept where there's some many thousands of low Earth orbit satellites that would pretty much blanket the world in these 
satellites and then coverage so that there is a low latency, high speed internet everywhere. And so, I, you know, I was thinking through this and, you know, the, it's been generally universally, you know, seen as a great thing and a good idea. But um, there has been some pushback lately and in an unexpected place, which I didn't even think about till it was brought up. And that's the uh, astronomer uh, community, because with all these satellites, I mean, they're visible. And so what does that mean for if you're stargazing and you've got thousands of satellites up there, you know, how does that affect, um, you know, your ability to easily see stuff and all that kind of thing. But really, you know, taking a step back and thinking about, well, what does this mean? Well, the idea is that blanking the world in this kind of ubiquitous internet at a reasonable price, so remains to be seen what reasonable is, um, would pretty much give everyone the opportunity to connect with everyone else. And it would really, as they say, democratize the internet. Now, granted, it would can be controlled by one company, so yeah, I mean, there's a certain level of trust there, I suppose. Um, but the idea, though, is that if this was achievable and it was possible for everyone in the world to have the ability to get online, um, not that they necessarily would, but at least be available to everyone, which it certainly isn't in all places, then, I mean, you're, you're talking about connecting a couple billion more folks on. And really, what's been shown, though there are plenty of downsides, is that that can really empower folks um, who may not have the ability to do other things or they haven't been exposed to ideas, haven't been exposed to uh, what's going on in the world, um, haven't been able to learn how to do certain things because they don't have the resources or ability. But there is so much information, so much knowledge out there that, you know, if everyone had the ability to access and get to and, and then share and create, I mean, it, it really is a wonderful thought. You know, in practice, of course, there's so much more good and bad about it all. You're now asking a couple billion more people who have differing ideas and thoughts that, you know, may or may not clash with, you know, what's out there. Uh, you know, if you haven't been exposed to the internet for a long time, you may not kind of know the general norms or what to look out for, or what to worry about. A whole new population of folks to unfortunately take advantage of. Uh, so, you know, as always, it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword. I, you know, my personal feeling is that it's better, it, it, the good outweighs the bad, and that hopefully with a even larger population of folks, it kind of pushes, you know, the corporations and the places to act more responsibly, sheds a light on more things that might not otherwise be out there. Uh, but on the other hand, it could go the other way, and it could enable even more repression, uh, misinformation uh, that gets put out. Because as we've seen with you know, uh, the, the recent uh, things going on, the spread of information that is incorrect and how fast that can overtake you know, real news and real information, it is, it is a challenge. And there's no great way to co combat it. And then once you have a couple more, you know, billion more people on and and really pushing their own narratives and their own ideas, which, I mean, you do want. You want to be able to bring all that in and really discuss it and learn from it. Um, but now, now you've got a situation where 
you don't really know. Uh, you don't really truly get um, how that's going to affect everyone, how it's going to kind of bring all that together and, and whether or not having all those folks kind of, and I'm, it's really just the problem in general right now. If you've got too many folks having too many competing voices, and really, how do you deal with that? But I digress. I mean, this is kind of a meandering topic a little bit. Uh, but really, when you're thinking about Starlink and just all of the things that it opens up and all the possibilities that are there, I mean, it, it does beg a lot of questions. So I just thought it was pretty cool. I mean, I've been following uh, Elon Musk and SpaceX for forever. And whatever opinion you may have of the you know, man himself, the things that he has done in terms of technology, either be it with Tesla um, or, you know, uh, SpaceX or uh, Hyperloop, and, you know, maybe, uh, it's, it's pretty impressive. And it's really starting to pay off because, you know, with SpaceX in particular, having access to space and all the things that that might bring and uh, open up to the world, I mean, it's pretty impressive. Using his rockets essentially as a way to de- deploy out these massive amount of satellites, um, you know, not only proves a whole lot of different technologies and probably enhances upon that, but it's also really a demonstration of what his company can do. So, I mean, granted, this isn't altruistic, you know, uh, necessarily, nor do I believe that, but uh, it could have great benefit for a lot of folks, Uh, you know, and something like I found is that in rural uh, areas of the U.S., for example, uh, you just don't have access to high-speed internet. Uh, sometimes you have to bounce off some satellite dishes or microwave towers, and having this kind of ability, if it was beamed down from above and you could actually get a signal, would be a huge uh, benefit. I mean, the amount of um, things that these areas could do and become informed and learn about is pretty impressive. So overall, I mean, I'm excited for it. I think that there is a ton of unanswered questions as to how to truly handle everyone. You know, what's it mean when you have that many satellites? You know, when you're talking space debris and something breaks, you know, what happens? A lot of questions, but I think the good outweighs the bad. Um, and, And overall, just a pretty amazing feat. So I'm really looking forward to kind of watching where this is going. Uh, Hopefully it can actually happen. Um, But yeah, so something cool I wanted to chat about. And anyways, I'll end it there. So follow this podcast on Twitter at BitVBite and Facebook at slash BitVBite. Thank you for listening and please join us next week.